When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Talking City, the Manchester City podcast for Manchester Dream News. I'm Rich Ray. I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by Simon Bajkowski. Hello. Have I got your surname right today? Uh, not quite, but Bajkowski. closer than previous attempts. So. Okay, we're getting there. Yeah. Next week we could nail it. The lottery goes on. That's already, already something to look forward to for the next episode. Yeah. And Ian Cheeseman, which I think I've nailed the pronunciation of. Yeah, you're all right. Just yeah. about. And we're here on a very sunny bank holiday. Um, where else would any of us want to be, really? Exactly. There's only one sort of footballing talking point, fresh or hot off the press from the weekend, Champions League final. Um, the win for Real Madrid means they're in pot one for next year's Champions League. So from a City point of view, they can't face Real Madrid until the knockout stages. Or Barcelona. Or Barcelona. It means that I think... Or Atletico. Or Atletico. Or Juventus. Or Juventus. Or, <laughs> or Barcelona. Or Atletico are in pot one. I yeah, think. So yeah. Europa the Europa League holders um, go in as well. I think yeah. it's Lo- Lokomotiv Moscow. Yes. The team, isn't it? Which, yes. So I'd be happy was, to avoid that. Pep was dreaded, I think. Wasn't <laughs> it? But, but Locomotive Moscow, the team that United are guaranteed to draw. And then guaranteed to lose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sloppy Gareth Bale and goal as debut. We'll have to wait and see. But um, it means um, it, when you look at the uh, when you look at the uh, the pots, it means City can. It's similar to this year. The best team they can play probably is Napoli or Roma, Valencia. I think in, in yeah. Porto. So it's. Yeah, and you wouldn't fancy Napoli to be as strong as they have been this year, no. or maybe not to give them as many problems. Especially um, without Jorginho. Especially without Jorginho, but there's talk that uh, could be Carlo Ancelotti could be mm. um, bringing in a few quality additions, so you know they could improve. But it certainly seems and feels like the end of a the end of a project taking mm. the the stage down on uh, Sarri's <laughs> Napoli, so they should be easier. So, yeah, it looks like it should be by far the easiest Champions League group City have had on paper. You've heard it here first. Yeah. Um, Considering that City always get the so-called group of death, yeah. that would be actually quite refreshing for, for, for Yeah, and it, it was, you know, very um, peaceful last season, really. Mm. They sort of just made their way through very easily. Um Got through that awkward Napoli doubleheader, Feyenoord and Shakhtar beat them in the end, but it was kind of a scratch so team. a left wing back. Yeah, always going to be a bit. yeah. So you know, last year felt quite. Um, there wasn't that much stress involved, and I think there'll be less stress next year. You would like to to think it was like this season's Champions League was almost like City have finally made it as one of the real top clubs in Europe because they weren't having to sort of battle against these big boys in the group stage like oh they've earned the right to be the best team in the group stage this is your reward and it was a refreshing sort of different Champions League campaign for City fans this year compared to the other ones where it's been backed against the wall you've had to fight for every point continuously to be fair though City were playing excellent football and made yeah. it look easier than perhaps it was um, especially at the I time mean, Napoli were top of Serie A absolutely they were, said they were one of the best footballing sides in Europe didn't they won the top three I think well, it's easy in, in hinds, with hindsight to look back on something it, like winning at Chelsea when mm. they did, and winning at Old Trafford when they did, and go. Fresh well, in the one. end, they actually played. Yeah, they actually played pretty well in them games, and it was easy. But it wasn't easy at the time, you know. And 
I think both of those Napoli games last season were big challenges. And I think winning those games and winning the way that they won gave City that boost of extra confidence and feel good and that momentum that you need as the season goes along. So you could argue, if you're really being finicky, that actually having an unchallenging Champions League group doesn't help the momentum mm. of the season. Uh, that maybe I've actually playing somebody decent. I mean, that's the, the Scottish factor, isn't it? That, you know, the Celtic never play anybody decent until they're in the Champions League. Uh, it won't be like that, I know, in the Premier League, but still, you know. You're saying that um, City might, might as well be Celtic. Celtic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that then on social media. <laughs> you yeah. all saw that. We, yeah. all, we all enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know what we're referring to. There was a United fan speaking on uh, on a tweet that was... Um, about, went viral, didn't yeah, it? That yeah, that went viral, yeah. 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 And you probably regretted saying it straight away, but City fans don't really care, do they? <laughs> it's a... Uh, it was good no. to see. It's good to see when they wound up the other side of Manchester just that much. It shows just how frustrating it is for them to, to see their greatest rivals win the Premier League and then their other fierce rivals in the Champions League final. From a City point of view, were you happy to see Liverpool? Uh, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's no doubt that, that there has been a huge um, sea change in City fans' mm. verdicts on Liverpool. I think what happened in the, the game at Anfield in the Champions League... The, the bombardment of the coach. I've seen some ridiculous comments from some Liverpool fans saying it was only hit two or three times, the coach, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. stuff like that. And, 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 and other things that have happened too, you know, the league game after um, City fans were, were impeccable for the, the commemoration of, of what happened at Hillsborough and then the, the booing and the cheering when a player got injured. There's been a massive change in City fans opinion of Liverpool as a as a fan base if you like um, because I think you know traditionally City have uh, you know they're obviously their arch enemies if you like are United but the number of City fans I've spoken to in recent weeks before that game on Saturday saying you know what I actually dislike Liverpool now as much if not more than United now you know that that's quite a statement because it used to be said that it was the United-Liverpool rivalry mm. that was the most intense. But there's definitely... Um, it's not right anymore. Um, and I get it. I mean, I did one tweet on, on after the game saying, um, you know, after what happened to the coach, karma. And wow, what a, what a response that got. I mean, that was that was a viral. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it sort of takes your breath away, really, the strength of feeling. You know, the City fans were all agreeing with me and obviously got bombarded with Liverpool fans uh, uh, making all sorts of scurrilous comments and everything um, and I think that was a, and I stand by that tweet by the way you know and um, uh, what happened at Anfield was was awful and it should, ne- should never happen at any football ground um, I mean there's, there's good and bad fans everywhere but to happen on that scale as it did has definitely upset the City fan base it, It's hard because you kind of have to divorce the achievements of Liverpool getting to the final and their fans with Twitter, which... That's true. I mean, Twitter would have been a no-go zone if they won for about 10 years, yeah. probably. <laughs> but it feels like it has been even after they lost because there's been so much nonsense made up about Sergio Ramos and Salah and all. And, you know, as we're recording this, over 300,000 people have signed a petition mm. calling on UEFA to punish Ramos for, you know, that innocuous challenge with... With Salah, which which is just you know you think how can one person sign that, let alone three hundred thousand mm. people be without a brain? But but it's hard to you know you, tremendous achievement 
um, from Liverpool to get to the final. I'm sure all the fans that went to Kiev, a lot of them had a really good time. Um, and, you know, we'll never forget their run to the final, but Real Madrid were the better team and they won on the night, just as Liverpool were the better team across two legs with City. There were some refereeing things, quite a few big decisions that went against City. And, you know, if Sane's goal is given at the Etihad and they go in 2-0, who knows what happens. But it didn't. And Real Madrid did what they do. They found a way to win. Liverpool didn't. And they never really looked like they were going to win the game. So I think you have to congratulate Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane, that coach that doesn't seem to get any credit ever, but as... uh, Three Champions Leagues in a row is, you know, that's that's the standard that City have to to, to look at and say, you know, how do we get to be where Real Madrid are? Because Liverpool, I thought, played a bit like City have done in Europe. Mm. It's just that knowing how to win, that know-how of getting things done, the experience of being in those situations, and City are only going to get there by winning in places like Napoli and the big the big stadiums and the big matches so you know if you get I think Real Madrid are still the example for everyone to follow in Europe yeah I mean I watched that Real Madrid game and thought what do I learn from this as a as a City fan Sergio Ramos as you quite rightly say is, has been the focal point of some ridiculous comments um, I mean what happened was you know they both fought for the ball and unfortunately Mo Salah fell very awkwardly and as a human being, you know, you've got to feel sorry for him and, um, and uh, you know, to, to see him in tears go off and his World Cup to be threatened, it is heartbreaking, yeah. it really is. But Sergio Ramos, whilst he's a hard, experienced defender, who can be cynical at times and can, can do things that you think, mm, you know, you know what he's doing there, any fair-minded person that watched that challenge cannot possibly come to the conclusion that he was trying to end Mo Salah's game. Ridiculous. Or, like, I, I don't make a habit of it, but I feel like it's really hard to deliberately dislocate somebody's yeah. shoulder. If that happened 100 times, 99, yeah. it can't happen. It's how freak how many football injuries are dislocated How can you even plan to... Yeah. No, you can't plan to do that. There's, there's no way you can do it. It wasn't even. You, you could tell. I mean, you plan I, to I, leave your arm in, but yeah, that's seen, all the best defenders in the world do. Yeah, I've seen Photoshop pictures on Twitter With, of Ramos smiling and everything. Yeah, which wasn't that incident. It was at a different, different yeah, part of a the celebration. Game. And you, and you think, well, you know, what, what gets into people's minds that they want to try to twist the truth like that? Fake news, Ian. Mm. Yeah, but you don't get out the evening news, do you? Absolutely not. Um, so, I mean, Ramos, so I'm now going to say, but I don't want the two issues to be confused, I think Ramos is, and has been, and probably still is, the type of player that City need yeah. on their side. I don't mean... As I said, just to emphasise this, I don't mean because he's going to do a premeditated attempt to injure an opponent because I don't believe he did that. But it needs somebody who is streetwise. That's probably the best expression to use. Who also has the ability to be a great defender. Who also has loads of experience. And if there's one thing, I mean, Pep's talked about signing two players this summer, maybe three. And obviously we know that Jorginho and Salah and and you might bring other names into it, but at the moment they seem to be the front runners. Mares. Matt, what did I say? Salah. So, I meant to say it's Mares, quite, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Exclusive. Yeah, right, right. Well, obviously I meant to say we'll Mares and Jorginho. Um 
but I've not heard any real sort of serious central defender. No, I think there was the young Ajax, the lights or whatever, maybe yeah. potential. Yeah, no, eighteen uh, years old, but he won't be going into the he's, first he's team. Not, no, he's not the one. You've already got Laporte and Stones, who are sort of in that category. They're both young central defenders who may get better as they get you know long older. Company is clearly the one central defender who sort of fits that sort of Ramos mm. type. Um, yeah, you know description, but there's always the worries about his long-term injuries and everything. And, and he's if we have another, older. another spell we did this season, we've got two, three games that are all huge in succession. You've got to select him for certain ones. Where yeah, so to me, um, I, I, they're not going to get Ramos, you know, but but somebody of that ilk. Now, I know you're gonna. You mentioned this before Benucci, we started yeah. recording. Benucci. Yeah. Pep you was know. asked which one Italian player he'd like to. He would most like to sign. He said Leonardo Benucci. In the past, when he was Bayern manager, he said he's one of his favourite players in the world. Benucci. It's that sort of experienced centre defender, like you said. But as a different sort of tangent on that question, do you think City need an experienced central defender instead of a new attacking player? No, no. I, I think. Uh, the players that they're going for make sense. Mm. Uh, I've got no problem with that. And actually, in theory, I mean, I don't know exactly, perhaps Simon can can know this better than me, but I don't know where Bonucci's up onto his con- in his contract. Only signed last summer, didn't he, for Milan? So. So he signed a five-year deal last summer. But so it cost money then, wouldn't it? It would cost money, and the City wanted him for the last two summers, and they've gone for him, and he didn't move in 2016 and 2017. Mm. He chose Milan so he stayed in Italy so I'm not sure how feasible it would be yeah. to get him um, the, there is talk that Milan might have to look at their books again for financial fair play because Benucci was part of a big summer of spending that they and then they didn't qualify for the the Champions League so um, you know they will have to look at that and there might be an opportunity that arises and if an opportunity arises, you can bet Guardiola is going to be interested because he he loves the defender. Um, but it's whether it uh, whether it comes up. But Benucci is a player for the the big game, the big occasion. We're talking mm. about Real Madrid, Champions League. Well, Benucci has shown up time and again for Juventus. I think he scored for Milan against Juventus this season um, in a sort of critical game. So he's. He would be perfect for them. Um, it's just whether whether they can get him. I'm not sure. Well, the, the problem with being in the role I am, which is very much a city specialist, and although I do watch other things, I'm not quite across who's available. Well, there may be that there is an experienced central defender out there in Europe who's on a Bosman this summer or in the last, coming into the last year of his contract because... To me, even though I completely admire and agree with everything that City are doing in terms of as much as possible recruiting young players mm-hmm. with a longevity, you know, an incre- the value that will increase as time goes along if they play consistently well, and that is the model that they're they're using. I wouldn't have a problem on a one-off basis with bringing in an experienced uh, central defender who might only have two or three years in him and at the end of that contract may, may have no value anymore, which isn't normally the model that they're going for. But I wouldn't have a problem with that in this particular instance because I think that's the one thing. When company doesn't play, City don't have that mm. experience. And Otamendi is, has improved a lot this year. Um, and, you know, he, he certainly looks like a hard player, but I wouldn't say he was a... A conventional hard player or shows the same traits of um, 
you know, being, being prepared to do things that are not all, you know, the wrong side of the law sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's like a management sort of. Yeah. Thing. It's like a blend of Ottomendi and company, it would be. Yeah. Ottomendi's yeah. got kind of the the aerial ability and, and the play acting, although the play acting's terrible. <laughs> um, I don't condone that. I don't, but it is no, part, but it, of, the but game, it's part of the game. And you, and you watch the Spanish teams in you Europe and they League see it as, you know. No, no team no, is successful. It's an art. Yeah, really, and uh, I think Pochettino got in trouble, or earlier this season, talking about diving and saying, "Well, if you can get away with it, then why wouldn't you do it?" And you know, it's that it's that mentality which seems very un-English and untraditional, but it's not pure football. And I love pure football, and I that's why I love Pep Guardiola and the way that he wants to play his team. But you do wonder whether sometimes in the very biggest games there is almost a bit of slight naivety or innocence or whatever that word yeah. is. And if you look at Pep's greatest ever side at Barcelona that had Busquets in certain midfield just being a little yeah. Mascherano yeah. is, is, is yeah. that player. Yeah. Yeah. You just have yeah. those players who just get up. Danny Alves yeah. even. You, do, you need to rile your, your opponent yeah. and you need to get under their skin, frustrate them, kill a game off in the last few minutes and I guess that's what City are missing and that's probably the one ingredient they need if they actually want to be Champions League contenders. Yeah. But, I mean, elite football and elite sport is based you'll see on the World pushing the boundaries yeah. and you know getting that extra one, two, three percent, anything you can you can get um, to help your team, mm. and, and that is part of it. And you'll see it at the World Cup this year. Whichever team wins it, I can guarantee they'll have someone in centre of the field who just breaks yeah. the game up, yeah. really irritates everyone else. Controversial moments, but. That's what you need to succeed. Vidal does that, and I know United were after him for a while, yeah. but at Bayern Munich, Vidal is that player, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if is Jorginho that type of player. I've not seen enough of him. He's certainly a footballer. He loves to spray the ball yeah. about and keep yeah. it moving, but I get the feeling he's more of a Fernandinho type Still of player. Yeah, I don't think he's uh, he quite fits that role. Maybe he could adapt. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, City haven't quite got... Mm-hmm got one of those players but you know they're close yeah they're got, not far away they've got people who you know can can rile up and you look at someone like Walker and like uh, you know what he did in the derby in the last few minutes yeah. kicking the ball away hmm. when uh, he was trying to take a throw in and, and that and you know that is the sort of the spirit that you need yeah um, and it doesn't have to come out all the time no. it, you just need to be able to call on it when when necessary yeah I guess so when both those little topics up. It sounds like Jorginho and Mahrez are definitely the top two targets for Guardiola. Do you think some of those two players is enough to make City Champions League contenders? Well, I'd still put in the defender into the mix. I don't think there's an awful lot more needed. Um, I mean, obviously, if Edison got a serious injury at the moment, I mean, you looked at what happened in the Champions League final with Carrius and I'm not saying that Bravo is, is would make those exact mistakes, but there is a sort of... <laughs> Well, you know, you're you're chuckling away at that, Simon. But I mean, I think I think um, Bravo is a very very good goalkeeper. Mm. But there is some. It, it, it's it's about psychology, isn't it? Yes. I mean, did the Carrius mistake in the second one happen because the first one had happened? According to Klopp, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bravo's stuck in a cycle where he can only get better by playing consistent games, and he's not going to do, do that. Is he? Do that. So no. he's sort of stuck at this limbo at the moment. I think where. If he was playing every week, he would cut out these errors, or at least reduce them. But when you're only playing sporadically... In- yeah, and it's not even better almost. It's just when he plays, you take away the confidence in the whole defence. Yeah. 
and you know we played the last day against Southampton and so uh, Brighton before, and there were a few, just a few times where mm. he just made you sort of want to put you hand over your eyes. Just and, so does uh, City need? Uh, do they need to bring in a sort of? Uh, it's not going to be Joe Hart and no, all that ready, type of player. They've got a ready-made keeper at the club in Angus Gunn, but he's a different style to Edison. He's a good shot stopper. Is he a good alternative to have number two, or do you think he... He might be, but the trouble is he's too young. And as a young player like that, he's not going to want to sit is on the bench. Is he young, though? He's a year, year younger than Edison. Exactly. Well, exactly <laughs> not. Do you not think that if you're going to bring in a goalkeeper to be serious cover for Edison, who's going to play in... 90% of the games it has to be a 30 plus goalkeeper I don't know who's had his best days who's now I mean they have still got Bravo yeah I'm not saying that, that's I only put a question mark <laughs> on that one you know if, yeah. if Edison plays consistently and is trouble free injury wise then as far as I'm concerned Bravo is perfectly acceptable I would be slightly more concerned if there were six months of, of Bravo, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a decision to be made on Gunn and it's a decision that the player himself needs to make. I think he'd be a, a very good number two, but having had a year of um, championship football at Norwich as a number one where he's done very well, he might want to um, to play football every week. We've seen Pablo Maffeo leave um, to go to Stuttgart. You know, you thought he might get a chance in the City first team squad next season, but he he obviously wants to play football, so um, they will have a decision to make on Gunn. And if he stays, I'm not sure they'll get someone in, but there is a chance that uh, they could if he decides to to leave on loan or permanently. I'd certainly have no problem with Angus Gunn being back up on 100. Mm. percent He would. I, I just question whether that's what yeah. he would want. Especially yeah. if, if Edison was to have maybe a rough patch, you've not really got that experienced man to come in and reassure him that everything's going to be okay and give him tips because two very inexperienced goalkeepers it relatively mm. still in their early days of their career could be maybe problematic in that sense. Um, looking ahead to the transfer market as well, um, Neymar, he likes to dominate the headlines. He said this week he'd like to play for Pep Guardiola one day. PSG... Under financial fair play investigation still, it seems that they may have to sell either Neymar or Mbappe in the summer chance window. Both players have been linked with City in the past and continue to be now. Would either of them appeal to you if they came available? I mean, I like both players. I think um, Kylian Mbappe would be a far better fit for City and fit into what they are Mm. trying to do. The, I mean, some of the reaction to Neymar saying that has not been positive. He's not got this image as a team player. It's all very strange moving to PSG and a lot of Real Madrid links after that. And I mean, Unai Emery has come out and said some non too flattering things mm. um, about you know Neymar effectively having more power than than him at Paris Saint Germain uh, and. You look at Manchester City and Pep Guardiola has not just more power than anyone else, but all power. You know, he can do what he wants and I don't think he would... He might like the idea of working with Neymar, but I don't think he'd like to manage him at Manchester City in this squad, which um, is not ego-less, but there's a very strong uh, communal bond between mm. all the players and support for each other. Ne- bringing Neymar in and feel a bit like bringing uh, when they signed Rubinho 
and yeah. Rubinio came in and that you know City were in a position then as a football club where they took a gamble on Rubinio and it raised the profile and but it didn't work out that well um, now I think they're in a position where they don't need to gamble on somebody like Neymar yeah, I mean, I agree totally with that. I mean, I was watching uh, Jack Grealish, you know, his championship football in the uh, the playoff final mm. on Saturday. And, and you can see that the lad's got loads of ability, but he's also an individual. And he also has a has, feels as if he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder and a bit of an attitude. And a couple of City fans have contacted me privately on social media and said, why is City not looking at Jack Grealish? I've seen him play before. I watched him on that in that game on Saturday and I thought... Whether he's good enough is one question. Second question is, would he fit the, exactly the psychological profile that you're talking about with Neymar? Um, and I don't think he would. Uh, I don't think Pogba would, for example. Um, I think players who, it, where it's all about them, are a worry. And you, on that basis, Neymar is that type of player, isn't he? Do you worry, have any of those worries about Riyad Mahrez? No, I don't actually. No, 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 I I can see why you'd ask the question. Um, I I personally don't think there's too many worries, but he is almost in that same similar mould, very individual talent. If he comes to City, he'll go from being a star at Leicester to just being a peripheral member of the squad. Yeah, but, you know, Leicester, yes, he is the star man. He can't get away from that because he's the best player, but... I, I, I don't think he plays. I don't think his body language or the way that he plays is about him. Mm. So he doesn't take that extra player on. He doesn't, you know, when when a goal goes in, it's not him with his arms like a crucifix, <laughs> sort of saying, "Look at me, I, Ronaldo, I put that on." Yeah. You know, it is. It, it, you know, he is a supplier. He is a, you know, he's a creator, um, and. You know, on that basis, I, I instinctively don't feel as if that is the same. But I do see that in Neymar. Now, Mbappe, I don't know enough about I don't watch him regularly enough, but it doesn't give the vibe to me either that it's about him or it's about an individual. And I think it's crucial under Pep and with this City team as it is at the moment that everything integrates together well and that collective dressing room bond or whatever um, remains intact because... That's what makes City special. It isn't about an individual. I mean, that was the other thing that was so evident on Saturday. When Mo Salah went off injured, uh, that was it. The game was over. Um, Psychologically, Liverpool collapsed. And it's been great that Mo Salah has received all these individual awards. Mm. And he is undoubtedly a very, very special player. But but do Liverpool rely on one player too much? And I asked the question, which you two can can answer, you know. (laughs) If one player, as much as you wouldn't want to see Kevin De Bruyne or David Silva or Sergio Aguero or any other individual missing from that team, you'd want the best 11 out there at all all times. But if one of them missed, and they did miss in certain phases last season, are City a different team? Are they not as good? I think think they're not as reliant on any one individual. Like I said last season, we saw almost all the outfield players did have some spell out of the team, really. Edison appears to maybe be that one that like yeah. earlier if he was missing maybe the the effect the results would be affected but they played without almost every one of the big names really at some period last season didn't the, stop them at all the the fact that it was so difficult to pick a player of the year yeah I mean it it wasn't it was De Bruyne but the fact that you had David Silver and you had Leroy Sane got the young player Sterling. Uh, wasn't nominated for the the main mm. prize. Aguero scored thirty goals. Fernandinho, my player of the year. Fernandinho yeah. always missed out. Walker, um, as I nearly did. Walker changed the style of play. <coughs> yeah, 
Um, yeah, just shows that there is a team. But with Mbappe, it's interesting. We, um, I spoke to Bernardo Silva when he just joined uh, last year, and of course they were all at Monaco together. You had Silva and Mendy, Mendy and Mbappe, and Bernardo was saying, you know, he's in contact with him, and he'd love to play together with him at uh, at City, and you have got that that network there. Mm, really, Mendy and Mbappe have been really hitting it off on France duty this week. Yeah. On the Instagram, they have, they're that inseparable almost, which is, maybe bodes well for City in that aspect. It does, and I think Mbappe said, he, he didn't say no to Pep, he said no to Manchester City, which, read read that how, <laughs> how you like, whether it's a positive or a negative, but Pep has been interested in him for a long, long time. He, he was interested with City in 2016, when Mbappe had played about 10-15 games mm. for Monaco before that that season when he knocked City out of the Champions League. Um, they were interested again last year when he was moving from Monaco. Um, and if there is a chance that Mbappe is available this summer, you can bet he'll be interested mm. again. A, a bit like uh, Milan, the saw that PSG might have to look at Neymar and um, Mbappe because it turns out that spending 300, 350 million on two players might not be and in theory, the best thing to do. Mbappe might be the easier one to get out of Paris because, well, again, you might know more than me on this, but um, he went on a season-long loan from Monaco mm. technically, didn't he? And I don't know whether it's easier yeah. to separate out now this summer the, the purchase agreement and that would be the easier way to meet FFP rather than actually sell sell a player. Yeah, I, I think it's just difficult because we're saying the reason we're giving the reasons why Mbappe is a better fit for City than than Neymar. I think if you're looking at it from PSG's point of view, Mbappe is a much better fit. I mean, he, he's a local boy and he can be, you know, a, a key player for them for for ten, fifteen years. Whereas Neymar. I'm not sure you can say he's the same. He's in the circus. Yeah, and, and he's, a, you know, he is an, an imported yeah. star. And, and I guess if you talk about financial fair play, I can guarantee Neymar's wages are astronomical compared to any of his teammates. At yeah, and, and I don't think you will struggle to, to sell Neymar. No. If, if you have to. If you have to. I know you wanted to mention the World Cup at some point today, Tizzy. You, well, you, you said you're watching the Champions League final. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's something we might talk about in future weeks because the World Cup is, is fast approaching. But I, lo- I watched that game in Kiev, and I've been to Kiev. I don't know if you have you been to Kiev, Simon. No, I haven't. No, uh, but I've been lucky enough to go to Kiev, and uh, and it's a, it's a lovely city, very interesting city. But you watch a game like that, and you think. This game could actually be anywhere. You know, obviously the branding all around the side of the stadium is the same in every Champions League game. The modern stadiums look relatively similar. Similar. Uh, I know there was a big running track gap uh, in this in this one, but you, you know, you th- and the World Cup's coming up in Russia, and they'll all be sanitised as well. Um, the the number of corporate seats at the World Cup, particularly, but in Champions League finals and. Europa League finals are on there rapidly increasing and there's less and less sort of real fans getting into the games and you think, I could actually be sitting watching this match and if you said to me, um, this is his, this game's taking place in Qatar, it's taking place in Albania, I'd go, oh, is it, right? You know, and apart from the little sign on the halfway line that said, Kiev, how would you know where that game was played? Is that, does that not make you a little bit depressed that... 
football. I mean, I can remember back to 1978, Argentina, when I was growing up, and the ticker tape coming down and, you know, Mario Kempes and, uh, and all the rest of it. And it just, you, there was a total identity with where these games were being played. And obviously City are trying very hard at the Etihad to give the stadium an identity by doing things differently, by having City Square outside the stadium and uh, and everything. But, you know, still... The but, that, but that's outside the stadium. Yeah, if yeah. You, if, are you saying if you look at a City game... Yeah, no, you know, you're right. I can't argue with what no you're saying. Yeah, no. And, and it is, it's everywhere. It's not team-specific. It's not club-specific. Yeah. Um, and I... I mean, it's just me. Maybe it's just me, <laughs> a certain age, and I just feel it's sad that yeah. the identity of of um, football grounds and football crowds are, are slipping away, and it's just becoming a very yeah. You could be well, they're changing on FIFA, they? couldn't you? They're changing, but it's um, you know it is always great when you see a new ground ground or a a. Uh, Particularly quirky ground mm. or something like that, but former back in the Premier League. Yes, that's yeah, what it's yeah, about. yeah, yeah. And it and it has been sad uh, losing Upton Park and getting yeah. the London Stadium, which is it called? Yeah, yeah. Um, very similar to the stadium the Champions League final. Was yeah, just uh, and, and Stamford Bridge hollow. is brilliant, and White Hart Lane was brilliant, and it's been a bit weird going to Wembley, and yeah. it will be strange not going to Stamford Bridge because they're like. Old-fashioned grounds in the the heart of of uh, their areas, but yeah, it's um, it's a tough one, I guess. Maybe you say how much of your match day experience goes down to the stadium, and you just you know make mm. more of the mm. the bits outside it. Mm. Do you think that is, is there anything you think City could do to improve the match day experience? To make it feel per- personally. I'm not a massive fan of all the entertainment happening, which is what Simon alluded mm. to, happening outside the stadium. Because that means that people come in late and and it feels like what you're watching outside the stadium is, is you know, because it's so staged. And, um, you know, if, I mean, on, on, I don't get to watch it a lot, I admit, but when I do watch it, you know, the sat on chairs in suits and it looks a little bit like you're watching a TV programme yeah. on stage. And I personally prefer to see more interaction with the crowd. Uh, now, whether that's in or out or a combination of both, I don't know. But football crowds don't need to be entertained. Well, my old-fashioned view is that they don't need to be entertained. They come to watch the football to be entertained. So the stuff that happens in the stadium, which you see a lot more in Europe, is more about building up the atmosphere rather than being entertained. I mean, I saw people complaining, media colleagues of ours, uh, I think Henry Winter was one, about uh, the, the stadium in Kiev just being more massive rock music leading up to the game. And, and saying, why don't we just let the fans sing? And Yeah, I think often less is more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's sort of a... You get these unrelenting PA systems that just boom out and, you know, like, do a leaper, fantastic singer, whatever... Is her target market a load of Liverpool and Real Madrid fans? Probably not. So don't stick her on at half seven, 15 minutes before the the game and just let the fans sing or whatever. You do have it like at Huddersfield, for instance, they play a load of uh, dance music before the game and the fans get really into it and it it builds. But um, yeah, just sort of leave it more natural, really. I thought 
City do a lot of good things and they do try a lot of different things. Um, and I thought their title celebrations when they got the trophy were a really nice yeah, touch. Top class. Yeah. Just, you know, because exactly. And, and it probably was planned, but it felt very mm. natural. Yeah. And, and you got like that brilliant picture of Sterling Walker and Stones with the trophy. And you've got so many brilliant pictures of like the players with the families and, and all that. Just, just taking in the moment and enjoying it. And I, I think, yeah, the more it's left to players and fans, um, the better, rather than trying to sort of micromanage to the minute what's going on. And I know City send out surveys and things like that to fans groups all the time. And they do try very hard. So I'm not I'm not really having, you know, I'm certainly not having a go at them. But it feels as if ultimately the fans who attend games should be the ones with the bigger voice who... Prioritise over the TV audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the TV audience, wants, as long as you give the priority to the fans who are there on the day, the TV audience by definition will get the right package, mm. will get more atmosphere. Um, but if, you, if, if you're thinking all, all the time of the TV audience... Um, I suppose that's really the crux of what I'm talking about that's because probably, when I yeah. when I've been out to Kiev as as a city person and I've seen the city, I've had the full Kiev experience, the full Ukraine experience, or in Madrid, you know, the full Madrid experience. Um, but inside the stadium on television, you don't get that, and I just feel it's sad that that uh, I suppose what I'm trying to do to a certain extent with my vlog mm-hmm. is to try to to give that experience outside. Um, the real sort of view um, and a lot of people seem to relate to that so that tends to suggest to me that, that, that there are a lot of people out there who agree with me who'd like to see that more of a of a good organic if that's the word you know an organic um, match day experience uh, but that should be led by those who attend rather than those who, who are not there I'm not saying everybody can attend but that's where it should centre on yeah I think I guess looking forward now, we've got pre-season on the horizon. Mark your calendars for that. You'll be going, Ian, to... Yeah, 18th of uh, July, yeah. That'll be another interesting aspect for City. We talk about this uh, raw emotion and the the organic atmosphere, isn't it? It should be different. different over uh, there. Very different. I mean, I was on pre-season last year and saw it and it was very, very different. And, um, you know, the, the, the people who attend those games will be generally people who only watch the games on foot on TV. Um, so it's very, very different than, than actually attending a game here. Um, interesting, and a like different, but uh, but nevertheless very different. And you'll be getting the full American experience that time as well, will you? Yeah, and I, I, you know, I've got to say I love Americans, and I love, you know, they're, they're larger-than-life people, and... Um, you know, they, they, they tend to be quite emotional and, and uh, looking forward to interacting with them and, um, and, and you know, giving hopefully an experience of that off the field to people back here. But it's, you know, the, the games out there are going to be basically second string as well, aren't they? Mm. Um, so how much City will get out of that on the field, they'll get a lot more off it off the field in terms of spreading the brand and all this sort of thing. But I'm not so sure that on the field... Um, there's going to be a lot to gain from it. Um, you know, it's going to be this final game that they've yet to confirm, and the Charity Shield or Community Shield. Those are going to be the only two games, really, of serious note in the warm-up, aren't they? Mm. Because of the World Cup. I mean, predominantly now, again, you know, we're talking about stadiums changing, top football clubs have changed, and the the primary 
aspect of pre-season tours is not footballing. No. Um, you had that situation two years ago with Guardiola and Mourinho coming to Manchester and then you send them out to Beijing for yeah. the first Manchester derby outside of the UK and uh, and it wasn't good enough and you know there's a Biden image of a, a fuming Jose Mourinho giving his press conference to about a dozen reporters trying to stick the dictaphones in to hear him outside because mm. he decided that it was too hot to to hold it inside the the room where they didn't have any air conditioning and because the game never happened because of the well exactly weather. yeah <laughs> yeah you send them out there and the the facilities aren't good enough so it, it's kind of you know managers have to put up with uh, wherever they end up going they have you know some some say. And uh, I think City were looking at China, and then after the situation in yeah, the in 2016, yeah. they um, they certainly enjoyed last year's a lot more. So they will be back in the US. Um, but yeah, it's it's just what what you can make of it as a, a playing and coaching staff. And what do you think? Uh, we talk about maybe youngsters. I think find a point here. Are there any people who've been out on loan this season? You think should be given a chance to have a huge preseason? on a personal note to prove themselves at the club this is going to sound a bit cynical but I, they might well take some of those players that have been out on loan like Angelino just to, just to use him as an example but I still don't see his future I, I, I think if he played excellently in all three games what does that prove you know because they're likely to be playing a second string Liverpool team um, you know they're playing Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Uh, they've got players away, and perhaps City, of course, have got this record number as a club of players away on international duty with the World Cups. But nevertheless, they'll all be to a certain extent second strings that they're playing against. So Evangelino, and I don't mean to have a go at him or single him <laughs> out. I'm just using him as an example. But if, if he's a player, what, the reason I use him is he's a player sort of forgotten yeah. by a lot of players. So Angelino comes back in, plays at left back, plays three outstanding games. City win all three. Suddenly, is he then in the frame to play to, to challenge Mendy and Fabian Delph? I don't think so. Whereas if he did it in the Community Shield, the last game before the big kickoff, you might just take notice a little bit, well I personally yeah. take notice a little bit more because that's the first semi-serious game um, that, that, that we've played in, in pre-season maybe. I think what will have to be decided um, before before they go is whether the likes of Foden and Raheem and Zinchenko go on the tour because yeah it will be great to to see them see them playing for City out there but if the idea is for any of them to go on loan next season then they'll be better off having a full pre-season with that team mm. and you see you've seen it with a few of the the pr- promising youngsters in the past you know they go on loan early and then spend that full summer because you're more likely to ingratiate yourself with the manager and and your teammates if you you're there for longer than if you sort of just parachuted in August, September, so, you know, as it stands, I think we'll probably see both Foden and Brahim on the tour, but... Um, Can I imagine Zinchenko, I mean, there's been rumours that he might be part of the Jorginho deal, whether that happens or not, but I can see him being... I, I, I Let's put it this way, I'd be surprised if Zinchenko goes on this pre-season trip. Yeah, well, from a from a player's point of view, I think you do want, if you're going out on loan, to, be, to make the, the move as soon as yeah. possible. You don't want to be in that limbo across the whole summer and 
No, no. And, uh, you know, I think we saw, like, Wilfred Bonney went, well, would have gone on the City Tour, I think, last summer, they said, if he, he hadn't had an injury. And I think, well, there's not much... Much Perhaps I'll get a game in America. Maybe, right? yeah. As long as you come back fighting fit for the yeah. series of podcasts, that's all we ask you. As long as, as long as you don't get touted in America by one of these MLS clubs. Yeah, could end up on somebody else's podcast. Who knows what an exciting <laughs> thought that is for you and for us all. But uh, sounds like a, a good time to wrap up this pre-season special. We'll be back next week. Who knows what we'll be talking about. I think that's a problem for us to think about over the next week. But thank you very much for joining us today. See you next week. Make sure to subscribe to Talking City on Acast for all the latest updates. Thank you, Joe.